And welcome to episode 228 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm a very tired Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So, Shane, you were asking about our special guest today. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't anticipating any guests, but apparently we have one. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Mike came out last night, and we were in and out of the out of the cabin a bit as we were getting our gear set up and we let in a giant hornet that I guess was still flying around, uh, you know, well after dark. And uh, every once in a while, it's like kind of stuck somewhere between a set of blinds here. And uh, yeah, when it kind of does its buzz, it can be a little bit loud. So uh, yeah, I thought I'd, uh, yeah, it makes for a little bit of a special surprise guest appearance from time to time. (laughs) Well, I'm glad it's your guest and not mine. Yeah, (laughs) good stuff. Yeah, we pulled a Pulled an all night session uh, last night, so uh, I might be a bit uh, a bit of a, a bit of a drag. But uh, how was your week? You've, you've got a, a neat new thing. Are you going to talk about that, or do you want to talk about your week first? Um, yeah, well, it, it's sort of one and the same, I suppose. The week wasn't super exciting. Busy at work, not a lot of energy in the evenings, and uh, actually, I had quite a few evening um, obligations that took me a little bit mm. or took away some of my opportunities to observe. But um, yeah, I received a new addition to this, the telescope stable, <laughs> if you can call it a telescope. I'm not really sure you can. Um, I got one of those pencil Borg 25 millimeter. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even say that with this. I'm shaking face. my head. I'm yeah, shaking my head. Me too. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the 25 millimeter F7 uh, Borg Acromat refractor. And I've always been intrigued by this little board, um, but like it often sells for like hundreds and hundreds of dollars, like yeah. three, $400, which I could just never wrap my head around. And um, anyway, on the uh, buy EE site for uh, Japanese, um, what is it? Yahoo Japan, I think uh, auctions. Uh, there was one on there. I put in a really low bid with no expectation that I would get this thing. And I woke up in the morning to find out that I had won the auction. So wow. yeah, yeah. So I got it for, you know, what I consider to be a pretty darn good price. Um, and it allowed me to finally test this thing out and see what it you know, see, see what it could do. <laughs> and it can't do very much. Um, so, <laughs> so no big surprise. Um, I had it out under dark skies and well, not dark skies backyard at night and, uh, took a look at Malat 111. It was okay, but, um, you know, you, you could definitely tell that it just doesn't like, there's a huge difference between 25 and 50 millimeters, but like way more than I ever would have thought. Yeah. Um, even like, uh, Elberio, um, you know, a very famous, uh, two-star alignment, you know, one's orange, one's blue, mm-hmm. pretty big gap between the two. Well, that's a pretty challenging split with a 25 millimeter telescope. <laughs> um, and, and like I could pick out the orange a bit in the, in like the primary star there. And then the, uh, the, uh, blue star was just more white. I was maybe just getting a shade of blue with a small aperture. Yeah. Um, so the, but the only two eyepieces that worked, and this is partly a result of the diagonal I was using, I was using a teleview mirror diagonal. And it has a pretty tall, uh, like eyepiece holder on it. So, um, the only two eyepieces that I could get to focus was my 24 millimeter panoptic and my 13 millimeter Nagler. Mm. Um, every other eyepiece needed more in focus travel and there's just not any available with that diagonal. So I, I think I need to use my, um, my little prism yeah. 
Um, but you know what I was hoping to, to have this telescope for, Oh, I looked at the moon too. And actually the moon was phenomenal. Um, but yeah. like, you know, how you and I talk about even just binoculars make the moon phenomenal. It, it really yeah. doesn't take any aperture yeah. to uh, start to see craters in detail. So that was cool. Um, but I was hoping that this would be, um, like a, a really good white light, um, solar telescope with, uh, my Herschel wedge. Um, but with the Herschel wedge, I couldn't get a single eyepiece to focus because oh, really? the light path through there is even longer. Mm. And, um, so the, the, te- like the focus mechanism on this little telescope is just the draw tube. It's similar to our mini Borg fifties where you release uh, some tension screws and then like basically the whole barrel of the telescope slides forwards and backwards. Um, so the only way to change your, um, like your ability to focus is you can add extensions or remove them. Uh, so I removed every extension possible and I still was unable to achieve focus. So, um, I might play around a little bit more with it. Cause I think there's one or two other things I can try, but, um, yeah, it's, it's limiting. That's for sure. <laughs> well, that's so 25 mils. That's uh, about an inch. Well, just keep in mind that, that Nicholas de was mm-hmm. using a, a half inch refracting telescope and observed over 10,000 stars uh, from the Cape of Good Hope back in uh, 1750 to 1754. So you've got twice the aperture of Nicholas de So I expect you to make at least twice the scientific contributions as that gentleman did <laughs> all those years ago. Shane. Okay, okay. I guess the gauntlet <laughs> has been thrown down. I now I have something more to do. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that it is one inch um, because in my small refractor presentation, um, I have three sketches from a person on cloudy nights and their cloudy nights handle is sketcher. <laughs> um, and, uh, one of our listeners, um, uh, pointed it out to me. He, he direct messaged me or PM'd me on cloudy nights. Hmm. Um, so I guess maybe I should set this up a little bit better with the backstory. When I presented this presentation to the seven ponds, uh, astronomy club a few weeks ago, somebody watched it on, um, um, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. And, and during my presentation, so I have this slide with, um, sketches of Andromeda, Jupiter, and Saturn, uh, made with an ST 80, but masked down to one inch of aperture Okay, and phenomenal sketches. But I said, I'm not sure, you know, who did this sketch. And then I had a quote in there and I said, I'm not sure who, like, I got this off of cloudy nights as well, but I am terrible at paying attention to, you know, who, fair enough. Was. Yeah, we all do that. Yeah. 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 Anyway, this person, um, and I'm just trying to find his username now. Um, he messaged me on cloudy nights. He did the research. He's a moderator there too. Uh, oh, really? As well as a small telescope enthusiast. Oh, and, um, yeah, just give me a second here. Messenger. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more of a reader of cloudy nights than I am of a poster because honestly, like I, I think cloudy nights is awesome. And I, I go in there, uh, frequently, not every day. Um, but I just find there's, there's so many more knowledgeable people than myself in there that it just is just a fantastic spot. And actually I go in there and I've been messaging a few people on, uh, my comic catcher. Cause I have a lot of questions about that. And, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like anything, especially with astronomy, I find is that there's, there's experts in all this different stuff that, you know, couldn't even dream of the odd time. I'll get a, get a message on something that maybe, um, I might have posted on where you, you don't do mm-hmm. post on something and and reply, but uh, yeah, mostly that's what I do on there is is just read up on what people have said or done, and then uh, 
and then and then maybe track down uh, people that are that are really going down the rabbit hole where I'm headed. So yeah, it's yeah, a good yeah. spot. Yeah, any luck yeah. finding it there? Yeah. So uh, the person that messaged me was David, and his cloudy nights handle is the real DMT. Um, so yeah, anyway, he did the research. He found out that the person that did those sketches, his his cloudy nights handle is sketcher and, um, it's super cool. Like I I really recommend people, like if you're interested in what's possible, some small aperture, check out, like search for that user on cloudy nights and check out some of his sketches, particularly the ST eighties when it was masked down to one inch. Mm. It's incredible. Um, like you need a dark sky for that Andromeda yeah. sketch, but it was really, really phenomenal. So, um, it really does, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because a one inch telescope is still a very capable telescope, particularly under, uh, some nice skies. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm very eager to look through it. Um, I'm just curious though, like, are there any problems? Cause your, your field stop on the panoptic is 27 millimeters, but the aperture of this telescope is 25 <laughs> millimeters. So, uh, yeah, I, I wonder if, if that could play into it a bit too. I'd be it really does. curious to does it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. The, the, well, again, I need to experiment more with some other eyepieces if I can figure out how to get, you know, the darn thing to focus, but definitely the, um, Oh, I would say the outer 15% at least was not great. Um, so I think that might be a result of just the field stop being too large. Um, yeah. I'm not sure, but it was yeah, definitely I, not sharp. I'd be really curious to see. I think the 13 Nagler sounds uh, very exciting because that's going to give you what, like 10, it's going to like what, 15 power or something like that. Yeah, it's 170, mil- <clears throat> excuse me, 175 millimeter focal length or 170, something like that. Yeah. That's interesting. I think yeah. that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Plus, you could always use it as a finder scope. You could for sure. Um, <laughs> I like, you know, the the mini Borg fifty is a much better finder. But if yeah. if it's too heavy, you know, if you're looking for something even lighter, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. it's hard to believe there is something lighter. But you know, there you know the the twenty five millimeter pencil Borg would be a, a fine, you know, or would fit that role quite well. Um, now owning the mini Borg 50 and this 25 mil, I kind of am even more intrigued now, as stupid as this sounds. Oh no! Yeah, I know. This is a, a bad addiction. I've got a very bad problem here, <laughs> um, but I'm more intrigued for the 36 millimeter ED. Like I almost think if you want that <laughs> ultimate, you know, small telescope, 25 yeah. might be a little small, but the 36. Oh, that's that's, that's got to be the sweet spot. spot. Right here. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the sweet spot. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or or what you could do is just take out your uh, 12 by 36 binoculars and just close one eye, Shane. <laughs> hey. Well, that that makes too much sense, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? Like the best part about knowing Shane is that you know Shane. Let me put it that way. <laughs> nobody else is going to do this. <laughs> I love it. I love it though. Like I love reading about this kind of stuff. And like, I always wanted one of the mini Borgs for a finder. And I honestly, I never would have done it. And then, you know, when you're like, well, these are the parts that you need. They're the spare parts I have left over from going bankrupt on building a finder scope. You know, it's like awesome for me. So, it was just so, a second mortgage. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> I just, I just trail behind him, sort of like the anteater of, of our amateur astronomy circle. I just go behind Shane and, and pick up all the dead bugs he's left behind. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the circle though. of a strong astronomical life. 
<laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah, that's good. Did you get out and do anything else, or was that the, the most that you were able to get done? Yeah, that was. Uh, I'm so disappointed in myself. That was it. Um, I was really hoping to get some solar observing in yesterday, mm. but I had a bunch of yard work chores and. I thought I'm just going to get all of this yard work out of the way so I can not have to worry about it for the rest of my summer. So it's done. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so back to observing as yeah. of today. Yeah, we uh, yeah we were doing yard work out uh, out here because it's a bit of a jungle. I'm not sure how the grass can grow that fast. We were here one day and then literally like five days later, like and the grass was just like, yeah, there was like a little bit of grass, not much growth. And then literally the grass uh, grew 12 inches in uh in less than five days that's no joke like it that's how much it grew and then it matured like it went to seed at the top and I'm, so we cut it down and i i don't even know it will grow that much the rest of the year just the way the way the the ground and the land is around here but all the lilacs are out i mean it's just i think i was sending you some photos of the lilacs and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. yeah just just really pretty out here yeah it is yeah, yeah super nice so and uh yeah and was able to do quite a bit of astronomy this week i'm a bit rambling yeah. because of that, I was able to get out five times. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Since, since we last recorded. Well, you and just kept sending me picture after picture, and I'm like, man, does this guy have a job? <laughs> yeah, I was I was off this week, but yeah, uh, but awesome. yeah, I mean, that's that's like one of the reasons why I want to get uh, set up out here is that uh, we don't have darkness in this uh, in this region of the world until about like after twelve o'clock these nights, and then by about quarter after two, uh, it's, it's the, the, uh, the twilight is, is starting to creep in pretty good, uh, dawn. Um, so you got about two hours to play with, give or take. And I, you know, last year, Mike and I were going out and, uh, setting up and like waiting around. I remember one night the clouds moved in and one night you had bugs and a couple nights, I just couldn't do it. Like you go and you set up and then you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And I just found that super difficult, uh, but yeah, being out here and permanently set up and then, uh, you know, I go to bed and set my alarm and, and get up and, uh, and observe that in the middle of the night and then, uh, go back to bed, uh, just, just has been uh, such a fantastic treat. So yeah, I feel really, really lucky for that, but yeah. Um, let's see, had, uh, had the old rusty gazebo <laughs> removed actually, I thought I might not make the podcast because the guy who removed it uh, showed up to have a chat just uh, just right before we, re- we were going to record. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I got to get a new uh, railing put on because uh, I told him I have this crazy friend, Mike, who just hops up and down off the deck all night when uh, when I don't have a railing on there. And I was pretty sure it was going to be one small step for Mike, uh, one giant lawsuit for Chris. So that's uh, <laughs> got to get a railing on it. And uh, yeah, I've been using the uh, comic catcher Honestly, I bought that comic catch, the comic catcher, uh, and you know, the Shane, just for people that are listening that, uh, uh, you know, for their knowledge is a 5.5 inch or 140 millimeter, um, telescope. It's a uh, Schmidt Newtonian. And what that means is it's got, um, a spherical primary, and then it's got, um, an optical, uh, pane on the front. That's a spherized or it's a spherical Anyway, something like that mm-hmm. uh, on the backside. So it's just like got this minor curve to it to correct for um, a lot of the uh, Newtonian uh, coma and that those sort of aberrations. But the whole thing is only F 3.6. Um, so you have uh, a five and a half inch scope that's F 3.6. So it's really small and fast. And um, 
it has a one and a quarter inch focuser, but apparently, and I'm having trouble doing this. A lot of people have taken them to two inch, but I'm having some struggle getting it to that. Um, and also you can't get rings for it. So I had to, uh, roll my own rings. I think I sent you some photos mm-hmm. of that because mm-hmm. the, uh, the rings, uh, that it needs have to be 152 millimeters or about six inches in, uh, in diameter. And all the rings that are available are about 160 millimeters around 6.3. Uh, and so what you got to do is you got to buy a larger set of rings and then you got to buy the special foam from, uh, felt from scope stuff down, down in Texas. And, uh, and then you got to figure out a way to install it. So I kind of had done, done that this week as, as one of my projects and, uh, yeah, I sent you some photos. what do you think? Uh, the, the white rings on the orange tube cream. Yeah. Fun. yeah, it looks awesome, man. Um, I, I can't wait to look through this little telescope. Uh, I'm. I'm fascinated by some of the vintage telescopes and, and I've just, I've never even looked through, uh, like this style of telescope, Never mind, uh, you know, the Celestron comet catcher. So, uh, I'm, yeah, I want to look through it for a number of reasons. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. It really is a surprising little scope. So I paid, um, just a couple hundred bucks for it. Um, not a lot of money because it's, uh, just about a 40 year old telescope and it's got dings and it's got scratches, but uh, like optically and mechanically, it works uh, very well. Not perfect, but, but, but it's sort of like an A grade for optics and mechanics and probably about a C plus on the, uh, on the cosmetics. But, you know, I don't really look at my telescopes as much, although I really love the orange of this. Uh, it has that vintage Celestron look. Um, yeah, had it set up and uh, yeah, Mike and I kind of gave it a whirl. I think he was kind of a little bit more impressed by it than, than he thought uh, maybe it would, it would uh, yield. And, and I'll tell you, the images are surprisingly uh, good through it. I don't have it optically aligned yet. Mm. And, uh, and so that's uh, something I'm probably going to need uh, your help with. And I'd like to blow the dust off the back of the corrector or optical pane and, and a few things like that. And I'm still trying to get the two inch focuser to, uh, focus tube to work on it but uh yeah i got out a pile of times uh like i said quite a few sessions um the first session i had with the comic catcher i just put it on a pan head so the way they used to sell it is they would sell it so that you could just put um like one of those little uh, camera tripod plates on it and then uh or or pan head plates on it and then just slam it into a pan head and then you could just pan around the sky with it and I thought that I would tire of that after 15 or 20 minutes, but I actually did like a full, like two hour session like that. I was surprised at, at how reasonably well it worked like that. Like it worked about as well as, as a telescope uh, in that configuration can work. And one thing you got to do when you're, you're doing that is reverse the, uh, the handle on the pan head so that it kind of sits underneath the front of the telescope and then it makes it easier to kind of steer it around. But in that configuration, that was a surprising configuration. What I learned with that is that like trying to say, do like, I don't know, like a messy marathon or observe a lot of things is going to be an exercise in frustration. But after a few minutes of fiddling around, you can typically find whatever it is you're looking for. Um, and then uh, once you're on that, it's pretty easy because it's low power wide field. It's pretty easy to keep it on an object. So for example, ha, 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 if you were looking to, take that telescope to see like a bright Southern hemispheric comet. And that was like your main target. Then maybe just taking a pan head like that uh, would be all that you would need uh, because you would, uh, you know, uh, just set it up and point out the comet, look at it. Maybe you're going to look at a few other things, 
around the sky or like if you were going out if i was going out early in the morning to look at a morning comet like uh, like i often do when when we have morning comets um where i'm just going to find one thing and keep it on it definitely i would just use the pan head i wouldn't bother taking any other mount because it's so quick you just put the tripod up and then you just click it in take your do or your 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 cap off the front of the telescope and plunk an eyepiece and it's just click 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 and it's like as portable and as usable as a pair of 10 by 50 binoculars. It's, it's ridiculously light, only weighs six pounds and just nuts, you know, Oh, Oh, it's just, just nuts. Like way, way easier to use, way more portable, way more ergonomic than a pair of like 20 by 80 binoculars. So, and it just, uh, it, it just really, really performs uh, quite well, even in that configuration. And then, um, so that night, yeah, I just tooled around. The first object I looked at with it was uh, M4, Messier 4. I looked at the moon, looked at um, a handful of other things, um, looked at uh, M27 and yeah, a few things like that. It looks, uh, you know, it looks really, really good. Like the stars aren't pinpoints through it. I don't know that I'll ever get them pinpoint, but, and I thought that might bother me, but, you know, I'm, I'm sort of running the power um, 25 power, 40 power and hundred power on it is that's kind of what I'm using for my power set. And, uh, it's quite nice. I think it's, that's quite, quite a nice spread. Hmm. Very interesting. And, um, um, do you, like one, once aligned, you don't think that it'll get much better or. Well, the secondary is huge. Like mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's a 5.5 inch telescope and, I think that the secondary they put in there is probably more like from like an eight inch telescope or something or bigger. It's, it's like a, I think it's just about a two inch secondary. It's about a 35% obstruction. I wondered how much it would impact the views and, you know, uh, pointed it at the moon and even, even my wife that doesn't typically look through telescopes too much. She, uh, she looked in and went, what's that? <laughs> like, like that's the secondary because <laughs> oh, you wow. see it. Yeah, when you point it at the moon at dusk, you really see it. It shows up. But as soon as it's reasonably dark, you don't see it even on the moon. And of course, when you're just panning around uh, in, in the deep sky, uh, it's it's invisible. Um, and the the lunar images are pretty sharp. Like so they're 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 sharp, but it doesn't uh, like even somebody who's who's not uh, a telescope owner and just has just casually looks through telescopes. Uh, half dozen or so times a year, like she does, she noticed like the difference right away. Like, you know, so it's, it's quite apparent that it's uh, the telescope does perform differently on uh, like the moon and planets. And that was to be expected. Mm -hmm. um, but on deep sky, the thing that I found um, really surprising about the telescope is that like, to me, anyway, the images appear more like they do through my 22 by hundred binoculars. Um, it really has more that kind of feel to it, like very wide field, and uh, it just like things seem very large and I don't know why they seem so large, but um, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, just something with like standing differently oriented at the telescope. I, I don't know. So um, definitely think things seem to be much larger and it's easier to pick up things like uh, dark nebulae and extended nebulae and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I was uh, I was surprised. Like uh, one of the things I picked up, I I discovered NGC 6357 um, and PISMIS 24, which is the uh, Lobster Nebula and the War and Peace Nebula. And um, I, I just picked them up scanning very far to the south, kind of between the trees. And uh, yeah, picked up something like that uh, from this far north is uh, 
is kind of testament to to a, a nice little wide field telescope that you can cover a lot of ground with on the sky. So, uh, did you ever look at six three five seven, the Lobster Nebula? Oh, I'd have Far to check south. my notes. Yeah, did yeah. did we ever did we ever try that from Grasslands? I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Pretty far south. We're, I was looking at the globular cluster there below uh, Sagittarius once, but this is this is over in Scorpius. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. it's about that same height though. It's it's very very far down, and uh, yeah, I was surprised. I was just sweeping around, and uh, yeah, just uh, just picked it picked it up. Um, spent a long time looking at Messier four. You know, I could see like a lot of individual stars. Like it's it's uh, you know starting to resolve it, and it's not round. It's like a it's sort of like a wide blob, and I could see a lot of the star chains in it, and you know really start to see some of the fine detail in uh, in M twenty seven, and um, yeah, like the coat hanger uh, looked pretty cool. And what else did I look at up there? Like just looked at so many things. I like it panned up from uh messy which is the lagoon and uh, m20 and m21 and then just kept going up and looked at m17 and m16 and um looked at the wild duck cluster looked fantastic i spent a long time looking at that just swapping different powers um looked at some of the open clusters up in uh up in taurus poniatowski like i think it's ngc 6630 or 6633 anyway it has a similar number to the open cluster that's in M24, but uh, anyway, there's some open clusters up there. And oh, the one thing I was going to add is, and I had to do this, is that I got a comet catcher. So what did I have to look at? A comet. Yeah, I had to find a comet. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so last night, <clears throat> excuse me, last night I had uh, I thought about this because a year ago, People might recall, if you go back a year ago, Mike and I were going through, we did a lot of uh, observing up and off UCAS to, uh, and I wrote uh, the handbook article, the RESC Observer's Handbook article I write each year. Uh, but this uh, this past year, uh, and in the current edition that's out now, I focused on off UCAS. So, so Mike and I became experts at all the faint, difficult objects you can see up and off UCAS. And uh, that's there was going to be a comet. And what, what I wanted to put in, I can't remember if I put it in the article or not, I think I did, is about uh, comet K2 Panstars, which was discovered in 2017. And I thought, huh, that's cool. And I put that, I think I put that in the article to say, people should go and look at it. Regardless, like Mike and I talked about that. Oh, like that comet is going to come by next year. We'll take a look at that. And then so last night I remembered, oh yeah, we should take a look at that comet. So I grabbed a little finder chart ahead. Uh, actually, it's in Sky and Telescope magazine from the uh, uh, July edition, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, went out and uh, and I actually swept it up in the comic catcher. But I was I was really bagged by this point because I had been up sort of several nights in a row in the middle of the night and starting to wear on me a bit. And I I thought I found it was like a row of three stars and it was a bit fuzzy. And then. Um, decided that no, that's not it. And I kind of just kept panning around and went and looked at M6 and, and the lobster uh, again. And then uh, Mike grabbed the chart and just took a quick look and he just walks over, over to his telescope and, and five minutes later he had it in the, in the 12 inch and boy, it looked like, it looked like a comet in the 12 inch. Cause it's about oh, yeah? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then uh, we watched it for a while, and you could we could see it moving. <laughs> so, so we're like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's it. But we kind of both felt sort of uniquely qualified to to say, well, we know nothing else up and off you because looks like this because we looked at everything that you could see in a twelve inch up in that region of the sky last year. We spent like I think three weeks looking at stuff. So uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so we looked at uh, K two pan stars and. Uh, yeah, it was, it was visible even in my five and a half. Um, definitely, I think that uh, if people are looking to, to take a look at it, uh, probably an eight-inch telescope is where it's uh, really going to become apparent. And you'd want to be under about a, a sixth magnitude or, or fainter sky, or I guess I guess what people call the Bortle 4 sky. I know uh, people are using that Bortle scale a little bit more now than, uh, than maybe we do. Mm-hmm. So in Mike's 12-inch, was there any sign of a tail or was it more oh, just yeah. a... Yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you could see the tail to it and... Wow. Uh, yeah, it was uh, move. It's moving very quickly. Um, that surprised us. Like within within like ten minutes, we were like, I think it moved. <laughs> like that's definitely a comet. And because uh, we weren't hundred percent sure at first, and then um, then we kind of went and looked at a um, couple other things, and then came back to it. And by that point, it was like over top of the star. We're like, well, that definitely moved in front of that star. So hundred uh, percent. You know, we hit ourselves the comet at that point. So we were pretty excited because sort of like an observation in a, sort of a year in the making, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like you guys had a really good night. Oh, yeah. No, it was uh, it was super fun. And yeah, it's always fun to kind of stay up all night. I wasn't sure how how I was going to fare because that was my third night in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of a bit. And like you, I was out. Uh, we were kind of doing a yard work and some other stuff around. And so uh yeah, I was kind of starting to get a little bit, uh, a little bit tired, but uh, yeah, it was worth it. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely worth it, and always fun to hang out with Mike and let some giant wasps into the into the cabin. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. So, but yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm going to talk about this really quick. Is the 20 millimeter Pentax because people mm. love to hate it. Yeah, I, when I so as always, I have a, a quick read of our notes before we start recording and. When I saw this, I, you really intrigued me because, you know, I know, like you said, a lot of people love to hate it. Um, even when I used, like you let me use that 20 millimeter in my, I think my 12 inch light bridge many, many mm. years ago, and it didn't knock my socks off, like, especially yeah. on the edges, it, it was not very sharp. And, um, you know, I think the 20 and the 14 in that lineup sometimes get, you know, sort of beat up over that once. Yeah. In a while. Yeah. So so the 20 millimeter Pentax XW is, it's often the cheapest in the line because I think it's, um, you know, much maligned. Is that the right way to say it? People don't like it. People don't like the Pentax mm-hmm. 20 millimeter. Um, and I think there's, there's some good reasons why. Um, so one is that it typically doesn't have as uh, good correction towards the edge of the field. It also, in my mind, it's a little bit annoying because you have something like a 24 millimeter panoptic and like the 24 millimeter um, APMs and flat fields and those, those kind of eyepieces that kind of max out that one and a quarter inch um, eyepiece size. And, uh, and, and so it doesn't give you quite that field of view by um, I guess like about a third of a degree. So it's pretty significant. So it feels kind of like you're using really low power, but at the same time, you're not using the lowest power that you can get out of a one and a quarter. And then the other thing is with that IP sort of on the plus side is that um, I think it uses one less element. So it's, it's only got like, I think one more element than a typical plossal, or maybe it has the same number as a plossal. 
Um, and because of that, I find it lets through a lot of light, like the light transmission on it is ridiculous. And I think because however they designed it, and this is one thing I really like. And I think, I think maybe this is what they were going for. It just kind of fell flat on the amateurs is that um, the field stop is in super sharp focus. So, you know, like when you watch like a movie or something and someone's looking through a telescope and it has like that, that circle and then the edge is like super black, but mm. it typically never looks that way through through a telescope. Well, that's how it looks like through the Pentax 20, which I really like because I find it very easy to focus my eyes. And maybe this is why I, I do like the eyepiece so much where other people uh, don't, is that I find that, that with my eye and my astigmatism, um, my focus is like, it, it has to be like a certain way, like it's, it's pretty critical. So for example, um, I was looking through Mike's scope a lot last night, like he had his 20 millimeter, uh, Nagler in and a 13 millimeter ethos in, and, and I think a couple other eyepieces throughout the night, mostly we use those two eyepieces and I've taken my glasses off to focus it. And I can never get a sharp focus, like no matter what, with my glasses off, I just can't do it. I played around with it a lot. Um, but with that Pentax, I find even in this scope and it's not quite aligned, I find that I can actually get a pretty good sharp focus. So I think it has to do with me being able to see that field stop so well with my glasses on. And I find that I can just totally dial it in so that for me anyway, um, I'm actually getting a, a pretty sharp field compared to a lot of other eyepieces where I can't see the edge of the field very well with my glasses on, or I've taken my glasses off. And then if I take my glasses off, even at my best focus, um, things are, are never as sharp through like an ethos 13, um, with my glasses off, um, as they are, uh, through the Pentax, um, at best focus with, with my glasses on. So that's like my own personal experience. And I know everybody's uh, quite different. Cause I, I think when we were talking to Don, uh, McColes, he was saying that, um, he has astigmatism as well. And he just takes his glasses off and uses like a 20 millimeter eyepiece in his F5 scope or whatever it is and has no problem. But for me, I, I, I lose like about a third of a magnitude if I do that, like things are so out of focus, uh, for my eye. But, uh, anyway, that's just sort of my love for, for the 20 millimeter Pentax. I know a lot of people don't like it, but, uh, but I do like it. I, I, I like that eyepiece. You know, the, the like what, what's interesting about that is there's always people looking for recommendations for eyepieces, um, you know, to match their telescope or, or mm -hmm. whatever they're trying to observe. And, it is such a subjective thing. Like some mm -hmm. eyepieces work great for some people and other yeah. eyepieces, like that same eyepiece can be terrible for one and great for another and yeah. really just have to try it out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really surprising because, and people can just Google, like, I hate the 20 millimeter <laughs> or whatever, and you'll get lots of hits. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it, 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 I think it's, it's a nice eyepiece for me. And you know, one of the other things is it's small and light and, you know, has that, you know, traditional Pentax sort of, uh, you know, huge rubber cone that you can, you know, manipulate or take off, put a camera on or whatever. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a neat eyepiece and you can often find it really cheap because people either I bought mine used, though I think I bought it new. It was the first Pentax I bought because it was, uh, it was, it was on sale. Everything was on sale. And then it was like another 20% off. So I think I ended up getting it like new for $199 or something like that. Like it was, it was pretty inexpensive. And I actually think like considering like that eyepiece, um, 
I think it, it performs well enough that, uh, like I wouldn't get like a plus or anything else in, in that focal length. Um, yeah. And, and it's almost in that price range if you can find the right deal on it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I had the five millimeter Pentax in. So that's the, uh, the newer one from Ryko I bought last fall on sale. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I remember now. Um, how much, like, have you been able to use that one very much? Yeah. I use, I've been using it, um, a lot like in the comic catcher because it's 500 millimeter focal length, uh, for the comic catcher. So that gives me hundred power, mm, which I perfect. find is, a, yeah, I find that's probably about max for, uh, for what I'm doing with it. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I like it. It's it's very sharp and has that nice uh, eye relief, and uh, so you know you're not straining to kind of look through it or anything. So, yeah, I've been using the 20 millimeter, the uh, 12 and a half millimeter Doctor, and the five millimeter uh, Pentax XW. But what I'd like to do is take the telescope to two inch format. So I bought the um, the Vixen. It's a it's a batter product, but it it takes the uh, Vixen uh, 36.4 millimeter threads and turns them into T2, but I need to get a T2 eyepiece holder and possibly extension. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote telescope service today in Germany to say like, what do I need to do this? Cause I'm having trouble figuring out. I bought another adapter from scope stuff. Cause said it had the, uh, let's see the female T threads, but it was, th it's too big by a few millimeters. So uh, it doesn't work, but I, I'd hope to thread that on and then to use a, uh, a Schmidt Castle green two inch accessory holder, but that was just going to be too simple. So, so anyway, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Fun, fun, fun. Trying to, you know, put the puzzle together. <laughs> yeah. I'd like, I think I'm going to try to get, and I, and I think they, they're going to make them again, um, is the click locks that go to T2. And I think that's what I'm going to try to do is get one of the batter click locks because mm -hmm. I wasn't going to do that originally, but I like the telescope so much that I think I'm actually going to use it a lot. <laughs> it's yeah, a fun yeah. scope. So I bought one of those for my Bader uh, T2 Zeiss prism and uh, yeah. the click lock, the T2 click lock is just wonderful. Um, and the reason I got it, like I had the, what came with it was a helical, like a small helical focuser essentially, but it also the eyepiece holder. Um, but it had three tension screws. And when you're doing planetary observing, and if you're, you know, trying different powers, it was a real pain. So that click lock just makes it a joy to swap eyepieces in and out. Huh? Well, I wonder if I could, and that's, a, that's the T2 click lock. Yep. Yep. I wonder if I could just, cause I have my adapter. I wonder if I could just swing by sometime and see if it threads in. Oh, for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Huh? Cause that yeah. would be, that would be really simple for me to, and then I just could get it on order. I think they start making them or they start selling them again uh, this month or next month. Then I can kind of get by until that point. Cause what I'd like to do is be able to, and I don't own any Nanglers, but I kind of feel like I should own a Nagler. <laughs> and so um, I was thinking maybe I'd get the 22 Nagler for this uh, comic catcher. And that would give me um, getting close to four degrees of true field in a five and a half inch telescope is uh is just simply irresistible for my brain. So that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, well, yeah, the 22 Nagler is well-regarded and it's quite the eyepiece. Yeah. And like I said, you know, I, I, I was a little bit concerned about the correction and the comic catcher, but considering mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the 20 XW, I think that, uh, that the Nagler, uh, definitely will, will outperform, uh, the XW and, and I hear it has, uh, some nice eye relief. I'm sure I've looked through one before, but, 
I actually can't can't remember. I've looked through the 31 tons because you have one and I've known lots of people that have them. I've looked through the the 20 quite a bit. I've looked through the 26, but can't remember. I, somebody in Ontario must have had one that I that I've looked through quite a bit. So uh, I, I feel like I have looked through the the 22, but definitely not as much as as uh, the other ones in, in that similar focal length. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think Mike has the 20, doesn't he? Yeah, he has the 20. We're using a lot last night, and I like yeah. it. Yeah, it's really it's just, nice. I gotta, yeah, I got to whip the glasses off to use it. He has the T the T five version. Um, yeah, so it uh, it's a glasses off kind of uh, eyepiece, and not made anymore. I actually almost stole it from him once. I should say I did steal it from him once because <laughs> I put it my I was observing. He lent it to me, and I was putting it in and out of my my uh, eyepiece uh, holder, the the diagonal, and then I uh, put the caps on and put it in my pocket, and he just kept observing, and then. The next day he's like, so can I have my 20 back? And I'm like, I don't have it. <laughs> I forgot I had it in my pocket. He's like, well, I gave it to you last night. I'm like, oh shit, where did I put it? <laughs> so anyway. Honest mistake, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, one thing I looked at, this was cool, is um, took a look at the, um, let's see. North American Nebula with the FS60 and a Nebula filter. Spent uh, spent some time on that um, the other night. Just uh, while I was waiting for the felt to arrive for the Comet Catcher, I had a had a session with the FS60, and it was kind of cool because I went through all these objects with the FS60, and then I went through the same objects um, with the Comet Catcher uh, the following night after I got my uh, ring ring felt uh, installed. And I was sending you a mic quite a few sort of. Uh, uh, I thought there were funny jokes about the ring felt because I had to install felt. I've installed felt before, but never, never uh, stuff that was this thick. And I was writing you guys saying I've I've never felt this way before about a telescope and blah blah blah. You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun to get the uh, get the sixty out here and uh, kind of go through that. And uh, yeah, one of the things I want to do is get the um, Borg, the mini Borg, mounted up as a finder on this because mm-hmm. I feel like uh, you know uh, that I think that gives like ten degree field of view or something. It gives a super wide field of view. So yeah, yeah, depending on like with your forty mil uh, Pentax, probably yeah. Yeah, thirty. Yeah, I'm using the thirty-two mass CM in it, which has oh, a, okay. a forty-seven millimeter field stop. So I, I forget what it is, but it gives like around eight and a half or ten degree true field, which is huge, and uh, can use filters and that sort of thing in it. So what I want to do is mount that on the rings of of the comet catcher for like you know really widest true field that you can get in uh, in pretty much any telescope. But there might be others that you can get slightly larger. I don't, I don't know, but this is the widest one I think that we were able to configure and then uh, get that comet catcher in two inch mode with uh, with a low power Nagler in it. Um, I feel like that would just be such a cool, cool, like sort of wide field machine combination and all like old vintage cobbled together um, telescopes with, with some parts. So uh yeah, it's kind of kind of exciting. Not like a huge, um, you know, modern uh, expenditure or anything like that. But uh, yeah, it's fun. And I got it all sitting on the uh, AZGTI. Although I haven't I haven't really powered it. I powered it on and just kind of panned around a bit just to make sure it would work, and it does. Um, but uh, it, it's a fairly stable setup uh, because uh, the telescope's so short, so it, it sits nicely on that mount. Yeah. 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 Well, it sounds like you're well on your way to having a pretty nice setup there for wide field telescope. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is strange because I always think I have lots of wide field telescopes and then I have another one. And then Mike comes in last night and he's like, don't you have a six inch max suit off too? I'm like, yep. It's sitting in a closet at home. Yeah, I'd like <laughs> to get that, uh, like to get that on a, on a mount here. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'd like to be able to get these, these things uh, all together and, and in one spot eventually to, to be able to, I'd like to be able to swap them around, be able to go from, you know, like the comet catcher to the tack to the Mac and, just sort of switch them around on the mount because they all work, uh, they all kind of do like a specific thing really well, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, you know, the, the, this, this telescope does the wide field so well. Um, the TAC just, you know, kills it on Mars and, uh, and the other planets. And then uh, the Mac is, is pretty neat. I really just want to compare the Mac to the, to the Takahashi and, and would love to compare our Takahashi. We've got to get these out sometime soon. Uh, hopefully we can get that, uh, that comparison off maybe uh, in the next few weeks would be great. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a lot of fun for sure. And uh, just enjoy as much warm weather as we can. Um, you know, the, the risk of, of summer, you know, if it's anything like last year is, is the forest fire smoke that could potentially, you know, ruin some evenings later on. So any clear night, we have to, we have to try to enjoy it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've certainly been trying to do that this week. So yeah, I'm a bit, uh, I'm a bit bagged, maybe a bit rambly today, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, simply because, uh, doing, uh, yeah, doing lots of astronomy. We did a sketch of the lobster nebula, but didn't, didn't sketch anything else. I was just like really feeling out the new telescope or the new old telescope and kind of working it through its paces. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way it is. So anyway, I should stop rambling. Do you have, do you have anything else to, uh, to add to this episode, Jane? No, that's it, Chris. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, we're always really excited to get uh, observing emails to actualastronomy at uh, gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I'm just going just gonna to remind people to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed, um, subscribe. It, it helps out the algorithms and, and stuff like that. We just do the podcast for fun, try to cover our expenses, and, uh, and you know, we'll keep doing it that way. But uh, yeah, if you haven't subscribed, just uh, hit that subscribe button or subscribe in your podcatching software. We do appreciate it. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>